0905 and 2005 UTC right after the international news. Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, October 6, 2022. Health officials in South Sudan say test results of suspected Ebola cases in the country is negative. The risk is still there. The cases in Uganda uh, are increasing and uh, the uh, area affected are also increasing. And an investigator with the century is calling on financial institutions in Kenya, Uganda and the United States to stop the flow of money obtained through corrupt deals in South Sudan. We have identified all of the um, U.S. correspondent banks that were uh, would have had money moved through them as part of the letters of credit scandal. We are notifying those banks within the United States. Uh, we will share the information that we have with the U.S. government and hope that some action is taken. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. An investigative report released Wednesday by the Sentry says nearly a billion dollars vanished in a massive bank credit scam that had devastating impact on children and communities across South Sudan. The funds meant to deliver fuel, food and medicine across South Sudan disappeared into a network of fake companies that never provided any goods or services. Deborah Laprofte is Sentry's senior investigator and author of the report. She says corruption has been an ongoing activity in South Sudan and collective effort is needed by financial institutions in Kenya, Uganda and the United States to recover money swindled by individuals, including senior government officials in South Sudan. The sanctions right now that we would be fighting for are against people, not the government of South Sudan. So, I mean, let's look. I mean, how did sanctioning um, Gabriel Jacques hurt the people of South Sudan? How did sanctioning Benjamin Bommel, Kerr Ejinga Tier, who, by the way, are skirting U.S. sanctions and still uh, getting billion-dollar contracts awarded by President Kiir's regime, explain to me how any of those sanctions hurt the average man in South Sudan? They didn't. So what we want to do is we really want to target uh, those individuals who are robbing and stealing money from South Sudan. And some of the, I mean, I'm not supporting whatever the narratives they give, but some of their narratives is, for instance, uh, the person you mentioned, Bolmer, he has been saying that uh, he has employed a lot of South Sudanese and uh, they are benefiting because he pays them salaries from the work they do for the company. Benjamin Bokmel's earlier company, ABMC, was sanctioned in 2017. He immediately went out and incorporated three new businesses through family members, through aliases. So Save Nation, ARC Construction, and Winners Construction. All of those, President Keir, knowing that Benjamin Bommel had been sanctioned by the United States. His regime awarded another $3.8 billion in construction contracts. So are you telling me that Benjamin Bommel is the only company that could have been awarded construction contracts? So those very same individuals that you were talking about, those South Sudanese laborers who could be earning money right now and salaries, 
could easily be doing that if another company, a company that hadn't been controlled by Bomel. But the situation in South Sudan is such that those close to President Kiir are the only ones who keep getting contracts. You were talking about the role of uh, other countries, law banking, you know, banks in South Sudan are mostly from the neighboring countries. Talk about Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, Egypt, and even Qatar has a bank in South Sudan. You were talking about Kenya, Kenyan uh, financial institutions to cooperate uh, with, uh, you know, the U.S. Department of Treasury or, or other institutions that will be cracking down on the government of South Sudan. Has that happened before? I haven't seen enough cooperation out of Kenya and Uganda when it relates to um, either enforcing sanctions. There have been a number of um, South Sudanese generals who have been uh, sanctioned for war crimes and by the United Nations. That should easily prevent them from traveling, and yet they freely travel into Kenya and Uganda. So I would recommend that, um, you know, with Kenya and Uganda adhere to the UN sanctions as signers on the UN Convention Against Corruption as well. And I mean, we would, we, much more cooperation needs to be done. When all of this money moved through the banks in Kenya and Uganda, many of the companies that were receiving billion-dollar transfers into their accounts had been created just weeks earlier. That really should have generated a suspicious activity report. So I'd be very interested to know if the SARs were filed by the banks in Kenya and Uganda. The Kenyan banks, for instance, benefit hugely from money coming out of South Sudan, who is going to do the policing? Because at, at this point, the, the banks the banks would uh, tell you that everything is in place and uh, they are following all the due diligence. But who is going to police the banks? Because the United States financial system doesn't want illicit money flowing through our banks as well. And this money was moving out of South Sudan in U.S. dollars. So, I mean, it could have very negative consequences. Also, with things like uh, working with the Financial Action Task Force, if they're not adhering to the rules of international banking, it could uh, have problems down the road. So we hope that the international market will be the police, that they will monitor, that they will uh, see if people aren't adhering to good banking practices. And how about the role of the United States? It's my understanding, the basic understanding of uh, how banks operate. Any bank that transacts in U.S. dollars must have a corresponding bank in the United States. And basically everything happens at uh, New York. What, what, what should the U.S. government do or what should U.S. banking of, or financial institutions do to, if you like, police this uh, illicit transfer of money from countries that are corrupt. We have identified all of the um, U.S. correspondent banks that were uh, would have had money moved through them as part of the letters of credit scandal. So we are notifying those banks within the United States. Uh, we will share the information that we have with the U.S. government um, and hope that some action is taken. Also, uh, I would love to see U.S. law enforcement, whether it's the FBI or Homeland Security, uh, we have venue in this case where money is being stolen uh, via corruption. It's moving through U.S. financial institutions as correspondent banks. 
So there is a lot the U.S. could do, and we would hope that um, the U.S. Embassy and that others would uh, support action by the United States to, to trace this money, see who ultimately profited, and see how much money could be recovered. Because the uh, South Sudan, the government was left on the hook for having to pay back all of this money, and they're already in debt. That's Deborah Laprofte, a former FBI agent who is now a senior investigator with Sentry and author of the latest Sentry report. She spoke with me from Prague on Monday. The South Sudan government has dismissed the Sentry report, which accuses the country's leaders of stealing hundreds of millions of dollars in a credit scam between 2012 and 2015. Information Minister and Government spokesperson Michael McQuay calls the report, quote, unconfirmed, adding it aims to tarnish the image of the government and advance what he calls an agenda for regime change. That is an unsubstantiated report. It is a biased report. We know the position of the senatory. They are, they are uh, anti-government of South Sudan, and uh, we know very well that they are the ones working for regime change, which they have failed to do. So they are still continuing hammering and looking for whatever so that they, their, their position is, is seen by others. It's unfortunate uh, that they are charging the government of South Sudan of something which is the money in the first place was the money of the Qatar Bank. It's not, uh, it's not the government money of the government of South Sudan, and it was given to individuals. Those individuals, if they have not refunded it, it's the duty of the Qatar Bank to, to, to take them to the court. But they are not seeing all this because their eyes are only focused on how best can they tarnish the image of the government of South Sudan. So that is a biased report. It's not substantiated. And as such, uh, I, don't, I don't consider it at all. The report says much of the money ended up in Kenya, Uganda, and Dubai. It's split among the elites, those who were involved in the credit scam. Well, uh, well, even if, if even if it has ended, it has ended in the hands of individuals who are business people who who were given those letters of credit, not the government of South Sudan. For your information, these are people who were friends of South Sudan, and they had very high expectations. And when they could not get those things, they wish they were they were expecting high service. We they could not get an aside they turn against the government of South Sudan. This is not an honest approach. So let me get this right. You're saying the money borrowed from Qatar National Bank was given to individuals, to traders and businessmen, not the government of South Sudan. Yes. The Century Report implicates the highest office in South Sudan. That's the office of President Salvaqir and his family. And the first family, his in-laws, as well as the families of the former governor of uh, Central Bank, Cornelio Corium, uh, military generals and others. This is, this is just, uh, just the same like the report, the report of last time. There is nothing new. This, are, this is a clear biased report that they, that they all the time create because they believe that... Uh, they believe that by doing so, by tarnishing the image of the government of South Sudan, then they will be in a position to achieve their unhealthy 
an unacceptable policy of regime change. But the Honorable Minister, there have been several corruption scandals in South Sudan since its independence. We had the Dura Saga, for example, and what we talk about today, the letters of credit scandal. What has the government done to strengthen accountability for public spending and transparency to prevent uh, corruption from happening? They are already established. If you, if you don't know, there was established a long time ago an anti-corruption commission. And that anti-corruption commission is doing its job. Whatever corruption goes to the court. And has anyone being brought to account, being presented in court for corruption? Why don't you ask the anti-corruption commission how far have they gone with their cases of corruption? That was South Sudan's Information Minister Michael Makui on a telephone line from Juba. He spoke with my colleague Nabil Biagio this past hour. South Sudanese officials say two samples from the five suspected cases of Ebola virus sent to South Africa for investigation returned negative. Dr. John Romono, the Director General for Preventive Health Services at the South Sudan's Health Ministry, is calling on South Sudanese to remain alert, considering the risk at hand for possible spread of the virus from neighboring Uganda. For VOA News, Waki Simon Wood reports from Juba. Dr. John Rumono, Director General for Preventive Health Services at South Sudan's Health Ministry, says the negative results are of samples taken from a suspected case in Nimule Town of Eastern Equatoria State and another in Yambio Capital of Western Equatoria State. Dr. Rumono says one other sample of a suspected case in Ye is still under investigation. Last week, one person died of suspected Ebola virus disease in Kajokeji before healthy officials could collect samples for investigation to determine the cause of the death, says Rumono. Dr. Rumono says while there are no confirmed cases of Ebola virus disease in South Sudan, the public should remain vigilant, noting the risk of the disease spreading into the country is high from neighboring Uganda. Noting the risk of the disease spreading into the country is high from neighboring Uganda. The risk is still there. The cases in Uganda uh, are increasing and uh, the uh, area affected are also increasing. I think now there are five uh, districts affected. Uh, so there is still risk because the people are still traveling from Uganda to, to South Sudan. And um, the incubation period is quite uh, long. It ranges from two days to 21 days. That means if the um, if a person uh, gets in contact with uh, uh, a confirmed case in the affected areas in Uganda, the person can travel to South Sudan and uh, cross uh, without being detected. Dr. Rumono says the patient in Ye has recovered and none of the contacts have developed any symptoms. Contacts of the suspected case in Kajukeji are also being followed. None have developed any symptoms, Rumunu says. He says the public should focus on more preventive care, including frequent hand washing. 
He also says people should avoid getting in contact with someone who is sick with Ebola virus disease symptoms, such as high fever, diarrhea with blood, vomiting blood, or blood oozing from different openings of the body. Let us be vigilant, uh, both in healthcare facility and in communities. The symptoms of um, uh, EVD is uh, high-grade fever and bleeding uh, tendency. If there is anyone with that kind of uh, uh, symptom and sign, uh, we are, our public health emergency operations center is working. Uh, and our call, uh, toll-free call 6666 is working. Just call that number and our rapid response team can uh, uh, respond uh, to investigate uh, the case. Dr. Rumunu says the government continues to practice surveillance efforts, including monitoring across the country. South Sudan does not conduct Ebola testing due to inadequate facilities, but Rumunu says the health ministry has imported reagents in preparation to start conducting lab tests within the country. We receive uh, reagents uh, for testing yesterday and our uh, national public health lab and the uh, lab technical working group uh, are assessing the uh, facility uh, uh, and we will get a result from them hopefully today uh, as to when will we start uh, testing uh, in the country. Uganda is struggling to contain an Ebola outbreak which was first confirmed in the central district of Mobende on September 20th. Healthy officials have so far reported 63 confirmed and probable cases, including 29 deaths. As of Wednesday, 10 healthy workers had been infected. Four of them have died. For VONO, Zamwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. Listening to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Ethiopia accepts to talk peace with Tigray rebels. Find out why after the break. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one, two, zero, two, six, three, zero, eight, zero, one, one. You were listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. South Sudan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs says it has managed to convince students who recently staged a sit-in at the country's embassy in Cairo to vacate the premises. South Sudan's Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, Deng Dao Deng, says his office will send a delegation to Cairo to discuss the students' complaints. For VOA News, Deng Deng reports from Bor. After a nearly week-long sit-in that began last Thursday, South Sudan Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, Deng Daoding, says the ministry managed to convene the South Sudanese students to vacate the embassy grounds in Cairo. 
Dozens of South Sudanese students said they were protesting over poor living conditions on Egyptian universities' campuses. Some of the students told South Sudan in focus by phone from Cairo on Monday that since they enrolled last year at Egyptian universities and what officials told them were full scholarships, they have endured many hardships. Dow says next week the ministry will send a high-level delegation to Cairo to address the students' concerns. The issue of the students is resolved. We, uh, we really appreciate uh, the leadership of the students in Egypt. They, they have accepted finally the they have accepted finally the call from the government, and they have gone back to their uh, hostels and their, where they stayed before. And uh, the government will uh, will send a delegation to Cairo uh, next week to go on and look at the matter comprehensively. Dow says the South Sudan government has asked the Egyptian government to release the students who were arrested during the strike. Those students that were arrested, they are also going to be released uh, based on what they requested the government of uh, Egypt. Government. Petro Mabur, a representative of the striking students, confirms he and the other students have temporarily called off the strike and left the embassy after reaching some sort of understanding with the government in Juba. We call off the strike uh, because of uh, three things. One, uh, we listen uh, from the advice of Honorable uh, Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs, Deng Dao, he told us that we should leave the embassy and then the government is going to solve this problem. Number two also, uh, we leave the embassy because uh, the, the diplomat from the embassy told us that uh, two is going to to come here to Egypt maybe tomorrow or uh, next tomorrow and solve this problem or to discuss the issues pertaining to this problem with uh, his counterpart who are here. That is another issue we leave the embassy. And then number three, uh, we agreed with them that our brothers who were arrested two days ago, we need them to be released and then we are going to to leave the embassy. Up to now, those brothers are not yet released. Mabiu says Egyptian police arrested 11 students, including one female two days ago. He says some of them were arrested with injuries after the police assaulted them, and they are worried about the safety. Up to now, these students are not yet uh, released, and uh, we are worried about the security threat, both the students who are the representative and uh, those who were arrested. So the student has already left the embassy and uh, up to now uh, we are waiting for this student to be released, those who are detained. And we are also waiting for uh, the coming of uh, Tutkel from South Sudan. Another student representative, Flora Jo Kwon, says the students in Cairo will decide what further actions to take should the South Sudan government fail to follow through on its promise to resolve the issues at hand. 
Kual says time is of the essence since lectures have already started at the universities and most of the students do not have access to hostels. We have all agreed, you know, our students have accepted to leave the embassy. So we are all hoping for the best. We just don't want to hear some bad news that the scholarship is going to be partial anymore, no. Because after all these sufferings, we don't expect something like that, like maybe and our students getting hurt being beaten in the in the whatever in, in our own embassy you know by the egyptians i don't think that sounds good and i don't think it's fair well we're just hoping for the best dow told south sudan in focus on tuesday that scholarships are a privilege given freely by the egyptian government to south sudanese students and if it turns out that the scholarships were only partially funded by the government Juba will either renegotiate with the Egyptian government or take on the responsibility and fill the gap. Similar protests by South Sudanese students studying abroad have occurred in the past. In February, South Sudanese students on government scholarship at Zuz University in Egypt occupied the embassy in Cairo for four days, demanding the government clear the credit hour arrears. For years, other South Sudanese students studying in Ethiopia, Zimbabwe and other countries have reported a number of academic challenges. Some said they were bad from graduation due to outstanding tuition fees. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. Ethiopia's federal government says it has accepted an invitation from the African Union to take part in the peace talks aimed at ending the ongoing civil war and halting hostilities against the country's Tigray region leadership. Fred Hatter reports. African Union chief Musa Faki Mahmed extended the invite to peace talks in South Africa in a letter addressed to the leaders of the Tigray region and the Ethiopian federal government. Redwan Hussein, the national security advisor to Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, confirmed Wednesday morning that the federal government has accepted the invitation. The decision is in line with our principal position regarding the peaceful resolution of the conflicts and the need to have talks without preconditions, Redwan said. Separately, a federal government statement reaffirmed Addis Ababa's preference for peace talks mediated by the African Union. The Tigray region's ruling party and its forces currently fighting the federal government are yet to respond to the invitation. However, last month, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, released a statement saying it was ready to abide by an immediate cessation of hostilities and participate in an AU-led peace process. Fighting an Ethiopian civil war renewed in late August, breaking a fragile truce that had been in place since March and halting much-needed aid deliveries to the Tigray region, where more than 5 million people need humanitarian assistance. According to the letter sent by Faki, mediation efforts by the AU's envoy for the Horn of Africa will be supported by former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and the former Deputy President of South Africa, Pemzuli Mulambo Nankuka. The letter says the talks are aimed at laying the foundation for a structured and sustained mediation between the two sides towards a durable resolution of the conflict. According to a diplomatic source in Alice Ababa, this AU core mediation team will be supported by observers from the United States, the European Union, the United Nations and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or EGAD, an aid country trade bloc in the region. The talks in South Africa represent the highest level effort to date to end the nearly two-year war and follow at least three rounds of discussions between senior officials on both warring sides. Fred Harter for VWA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. 
Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. For world news, go to voanews.com. If you miss this broadcast, go to voanews.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Ras Corby and the song Bellet Jadid. song Billet Jadid. I'm your host John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.